0: Welcome to the Nia Chuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamens. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. This week we discuss the uh, warlord era in China, period from 1916 to 1928. Uh, we discuss how it connects to the formulation of martial art associations, uh, the famous 1928 uh tournament and a few other things, talk about a few of the main uh, characters during that time. Uh, Then we switch gears and talk about the spine stretch, the final exercise of the energy gate set. Um, Talk about how to protect your spine when you're doing it, what makes it different from a normal stretch, uh, how to develop strength in the spine without tension. And we talk about the difference between a stretch and a release and what that entails and how it connects with the spine stretch and Qigong in general. Uh, If you haven't checked out our Patreon lately, Jess has a new Bagua walking uh, session out, so you can check that out. Uh, All right, uh, enjoy the episode and take care.
1: Welcome back to the Nageo Twin Podcast with Isaac and Jess. We've been discussing the book, Opening the Energy Gates of Your Body by BK Francis. And each chapter, we've been discussing different teachers of the Chinese martial arts, as well as some of the training of the Qigong set. We've reached a point now where we've been sort of exploring the life and times of the Grandmaster Liu Hongjie. Um, He's a really interesting character who lives during very interesting times in China. Last episode, we talked about the boxer uprising of 1900, when the ancient times of martial arts kind of came crashing into the modern era when uh, foreign powers invade China, and there's sort of a battle between what you might think of as traditional martial arts against modern weaponry, and that's sort of the end of that era in time. Um, we're going to look forward a little further into the, f- the life of Leo Hongjie by looking at his teenage years. Um, Master Leo is born in 1903, from what we can tell, and so during his teenage years is another huge event in chinese history which is the fall of the Qing dynasty the final dynasty the last emperor of china is overthrown by the rebellion led by sun yat sen in 1911. so this moment in time takes place master leo some somewhere between seven and eight years old when you know this huge political event that is a, a thing that is studied by you know so many people around the world Um, that we're not going to get very far into. We just want to give a little bit of that history, a little sketch of that that time period and what it was like for martial arts in China during that time. And obviously, whole theses could be written on this, but we just wanted to throw about a few thoughts we've had and some of the things we've read about that time period that are really interesting. Um, So this moment of the overthrowing of the Qing Dynasty is you know the pivotal moment in history. It's one of those huge, just watershed events that changes everything that comes after. And this is the struggles of Chinese government outside of imperial emperors' control. Now a new type of government is being formed, um, and in this case, it's pretty much military based. You know, there's a lot of a lot of hopes and dreams that Sun Yat-sen is a uh, an idealist that hopes he can you know change the world, but In reality, China falls into a pretty tough stretch and uh, known as the Warlord Era. I wanted to read a little little piece here. The Warlord Era was a period in the history of the Republic of China when control of the country was divided among military cliques and other regional factions from 1916 to 1928. The Warlord Era was characterized by constant civil war between different factions. The warlord era ended in 1928 when the Kuomintang under Chiang Kai-shek officially unified China through the Northern Expedition. Um, so that's that's the stretch of time from 1916 to 1928. Um, you know, and there's a lot to say about the politics of that time and all the things that occurred then. But in terms of martial arts, um, that's also a big, big time period. That's when the first martial arts books in Chinese are starting to be published uh, for broad distribution. And there's also uh, opening of martial arts that were traditionally very closed. And, you know, especially these imperial martial arts like Tai Chi, Bagua, that are practiced within very cloistered, within the palace, with only by the rich and powerful. Now those teachers go out into the public and start teaching. And that's sort of the era we continue to live in today when teachers now make their living by teaching students rather than fighting in military engagements. Um, And so there's this warlord era when bodyguard caravans and security forces are using martial arts, uh, to a very high degree. And the fighting is going on all over China in totally random ways. Um, and this is the teenage life that Leo Hong J is, uh, experiencing. He's training at the, the Bagua school that he joined in his teenage years, um, somewhere around 1917, 1918. So right smack dab in the middle of this warlord era
0: yeah well it sounds like it was kind of the um the wild west of the you know china's wild, wild west right i mean <laughs> that's a good and idea. it's kind of, it's sort of the same time period right i mean you're talking about this uh late 1800s early 1900s where in the west it was gunfighters and you know hor- cowboys and all that stuff and in china it was martial artists and warlords right and so they had these I think it was, it was sort of a similar, uh, uh dynamic or world, right. Where it's just, anything goes,
1: anything goes, man.
0: It's interesting because there isn't a lot, uh,
1: there's no central about authority. There's nobody in charge is kind of what's right. similar.
0: So there's not a lot written about it because a lot of the things where people would take, you know, records of stuff wasn't happening. And I think more relevant to what we we're talking about is, uh, people weren't, doing martial arts in the dojo they were doing martial arts in you know these these battles against Uh. other groups right so uh it was i think the roots of a lot of what would later become uh these martial arts organizations were formed at that time right so you would have these these factions these groups that formed used these martial arts and then later would Mm -hmm. Develop into essentially martial arts schools but this was this was their uh their proving ground you know like they were they were using it in real real time
1: yeah it's a really violent era there's no central authority uh different warlords are controlling different parts of china there's a lot of switching sides and backstabbing and most of all i think civilians are just suffering in untold, uh, horrible fashion with no protection from basically whoever's the strongest takes what they want. And the the government of China is struggling to unify itself and put itself together.
0: Now, the best description I heard of it was that uh, there was a revolving door of power, right? That it was just, it would just keep, you know, one guy would come in, another guy would go out, another, and so there was no stability. And it's hard, of course, it's, you know, it's hard, the poor people always suffer the most when they're in times like that anyway. So of course,
1: some of these warlords are really colorful and, uh, really crazy sounding. Um, one of them here, Yan Shishan, the model governor, he professed a syncretic creed that merged elements of democracy, militarism, individualism, capitalism, communism, imperialism, universalism, anarchism, and Confucian paternalism into one. (laughs) This is like, I mean, this guy is insane. He, uh, He banned alcohol, lived simply, and wore a common uniform of an infantryman, whereas another guy down here, Zhang Zhang Chang, known as the dog meat general, um, he's described as having the physique of an elephant, the brain of a pig, and the temperament of a tiger. He's uh, a universally detested monster whose ugly bloated face was tinged with the livid hue induced by heavy opium smoking. (laughs) A brutal man, Zhang was notorious for his hobby of smashing in the heads of prisoners with his sword, which is called smashing melons. Oh, my God. Um, Like, this guy is completely out of control. And it sounds like, you know, China's just teeming with these different armies and different factions, just, you know, ambushing and slaughtering civilians and basically terrorizing the place. And I can't imagine they're fighting each other very often. They're mostly just victimizing everyone they can get their hands on. Wow. That's something else. This could be one of the most (laughs) gnarly stretches in human history. So one, another event that takes place during that time period that that's pertinent to the martial arts and the Qigong we've been practicing and studying, um, is that groups of internal martial artists are forming societies and groups to, uh, to promote their training, to, to bring it out to the public, to teach people and to make it something that wasn't just a hidden closed group, but to bring it out to the public. One of the groups we've been looking into is translated into English as the esteeming the Marshall Society. Um, and here in Beijing, that group is formed in 1912, which is this same time period that uh, the warlord era is taking place or, or quite previously to it. Um, You've got great teachers like Li Tsunyi, the famous Xingyi master. Uh, Zhang Zhaodong, the great Xingyi Bagua teacher. Um, Han Mushia, another famous one. Um, He's in Tianjin, another branch of the Esteeming the Martial Society. As Chinese martial arts are spreading out into uh, common society and and outside the palace and outside sort of the secret uh, doors of where it's being trained indoors, um, these new groups are being formed. And... There's a new movement in society of martial arts coming out to the public, whereas before martial arts were kept quite private and secret. Now they're being promoted and shown to the world at large. And a lot of that's where these internal martial arts of China are starting to become well known to the public. And as a matter of fact, they're working together. This is when Tai Chi, Xing Yi and Bagua are starting to formally work together and train together. And uh, one example of that type of group is the famous Jingwu Society, which spread all over the world of a variety of Chinese martial arts, some internal and external and all different forms. Um, It's very popular and has survived to this time. Um, Another example of that type of group is called the Esteeming the Martial Society. This one was formed by one of Liu Hongjie's teachers. As a matter of fact, a number of his teachers were part of this Esteeming the Martial Society that that was founded in Beijing. Um, I'd like to read a little part here that uh, from a book that says, in 1912, Liu Dianchen, Li Tunyi, Zhang Zhaokui, and others launched the Warriors Association in Tianjin, and then the Esteeming the Martial Society in Beijing. Um, and here the author says, in the final years of the empire, I served as martial arts instructor in the law school of Tianjin. When the Republic was established, uh, At that time, the Martial Arts Association of Tianjin and the Esteeming the Martial Society in Beijing both selected me to be overall instructor. Consulting with my comrades, we wanted martial arts to invigorate the nation. And so we have compiled textbooks to present their features and preserve a record, publishing and circulating them throughout the country. Um, This is Liu Wenhua, a famous martial arts teacher writing in 1920 about the events of 1912. So I, I see this as, you know, the... The emperor is overthrown in 1911. In 1912 is the founding of this society to promote internal martial arts to the public at large. That can't be an accident. I think that this is part of this newfound movement to bring these arts to the public. So at this time, martial arts stops being seen so much as for warfare between warring factions, but as a way of unifying and strengthening Chinese culture And, uh, you know, just making their country stronger. There's an international perception that Chinese are weak and that they're not strong. So internal martial arts is coming out to prove that they are strong and they can fight back. And the esteeming the martial society is a critical moment in time in this, you know, right at the end of the Qing dynasty. Here's this new group forming almost instantly. It's in a way, perhaps they've been they've been working on this prior to that. And a lot of these teachers are known to have associated before 1912, but it seems like 1912 is a moment in time when they, they come to the surface and really start promoting the arts. So I'd like to look at another piece of how this history connects with uh, the life of Liu Hongjie. Uh, here's a translation of the Shingi Manual of Li Jianqiu. Li Jianqiu is one of Liu Hongjie's teachers, as well as uh, Master Liu learning from Li's father. Um, the Art of Shingi Boxing is published in 1919, and Li Jianqiu is uh, you know, a participant in this new modern direction of martial arts. He says here, In a human life, there is no suffering worse than for the body to become weakened and dispirited, and no happiness greater than for the body to be made healthy and whole. Methods of making the body healthy divided into two categories, movement, focusing on muscular development, and stillness, focusing on cultivation of spirit. Seated meditation can be categorized as a form of stillness practice. But gymnastics, as well as Chinese weapons and weightlifting exercises, are all forms of movement practice. However, both of them have their abuses, usually due to absurd ideas about sitting meditation, leading to insanity, or due to the exceeding exceeding of limits in movement exercises resulting in stupidity, all because of ignorance of the principles of physical training. So here he's talking about becoming more scientific about the training and really... uh, making it for everyone rather than just sort of the, taking it to absurd extremes, but rather something everyone can do. He says here in modern times, every nation gives attention to physical education and it is now considered a field of science. The conclusion of researchers is that body and spirit should be simultaneously trained and thereby evenly developed by blending them together. The cultivation of moral character is promoted as well. The newly instituted calisthenics follow the principle while its physical education theory is solid as an art. It has not yet been perfected. So I think what he's saying here is you're blending together the training of the body and spirit and cultivating moral character as well. Um, You know, that's really what makes Chinese martial arts stand out even to this day. And uh, the author here is, you know, the joint declaration of the Shanghai Martial Art Research Association. Um, Li Jiang Q is leader here. Um, You know, you can hear from what he's saying. This is a modern approach to martial arts that are traditionally kept secret. Now they're going to be for everyone. They're going to bring them to the schools. They're going to leave, you know, the merchants are going to do them. The journalists are going to do them. The government officials are going to do them. And uh, he says here, alongside comrades within and beyond the society, we hereby establish our declaration. We will strengthen ourselves to strengthen our countrymen, strengthening our countrymen to strengthen our country.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have the same thing in the West too with, um, that was when a lot of the physical education became a big part of you know, the larger educational field and uh, fitness and uh, feats of strength were real popular, right? You know, guys getting shot in the belly with cannonballs or, you know, all that strongman stuff. And so I, this was part of a reaction to that. So the first part of it is saying we already have that we have an established because Chinese like, Things that are established. And we have that already. We have a way of developing um physical health and physical education already. It's called martial arts. So we should do that, and that will bring us into this, you know, thing of of national pride and all that.
1: Strengthening the nation through martial arts.
0: Right. It's but but it's specifically through something that was already established and you know old, uh, where in the West. It was more about look at this new modern, you know, electrical machine that you can plug in that, jiggle, <laughs> right. that jiggles your belly. A, and, machine.
1: <laughs> you know, or... a new fad of some kind, where right. traditional Chinese is to always look back to uh, the achievements of the past and, and reuse them in the new modern way. And, and so, especially I feel like with we're
0: something talking. that's Chinese, right? I mean, hmm. it, it, something native, yeah, yeah.
1: And I feel like today we're still in this era to some degree. I feel like. There was that time, you know, a couple thousand years of martial arts was the pre- premier technology for fighting. Then it changed somewhere around this 1912 <laughs> area. This warlord period is kind of where things are shifting, and it it leads, you know, for a hundred years now, martial arts have been seen as this way to cultivate your spirit a long time alongside your physical health. And to me, that's one of the reasons I got into martial arts, and I think a lot of us foreigners do that because we really see the value in. You know, finding the others, it's not, it's kind of boring just doing the same physical exercises and it's fun to incorporate this deeper level of either meditative training, there's morality, there's other aspects that I think when they're woven in with martial arts, make it more complete, make it more satisfying.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was also a parallel in terms of Negong, right? I mean, this is when a lot of the things like Tai Chi for health came into existence, right? That... Or or names were given to Qigong sets that families had done for, you know, a thousand years, but they they stamped a name on it and started teaching it publicly Um, because that was another way of, again, getting healthy using something that was uh, already Chinese and did actually a really, really good job of it. And and so that that didn't hurt, but you could see it all over the place. in China where you know people started having tai, Tai Chi was the biggest probably in terms of martial arts that did that but what he's saying is you know all martial arts are essentially a form of of physical education and internal martial arts because they add this meditative mind component to it are doing the thing of also strengthening the mind and so
1: it burns right. with
0: one stone, you know.
1: And I think it's safe to say that's what what Leo Hongjie as a young teenager was. That was the purpose of his training. He wasn't planning to become a bodyguard or enter into the service of the warlords or even the imperial army. He was oh, yeah. He was learning for to improve himself. And to, now, now not to say that fighting skills wouldn't be useful during a period called the warlord era. You know? I read a few
0: things about martial artists from that era and most of them actually all of them said essentially they started doing martial arts during that area because it was like well you know it's not things aren't exactly stable you might as well know how to defend yourself a little mm-hmm. bit the the very famous master sun lu dong did his uh kind of publicity tour for internal martial arts during that time and went around promoting uh the, you know the,
1: mm-hmm.
0: The, the the Tai Chi, Xing Yi, Bagua is a, a single family of of training, you know, at that time as well. So, And then he would later write the, one of the first books on all of those things, really.
1: And so as, as this period comes to an end in 1928, when uh, the Republic of China is unified under the, uh, to some degree, under the command of the, you know, famous general Chiang Kai-shek, who sort of crushes the various warlord fashions and factions and absorbs others. And he brings his armies into Beijing in 1928, which is the same year that the famous martial arts tournament takes place where Liu Hongjie as a young army officer is engaged in, um, in, a, in a number of matches and, and gets to participate in this famous martial arts watershed event in 1928. So his life really connects in with some of the biggest moments in martial arts history and in Chinese history, modern Chinese history. He's, he's on the stage seeing it take place. And it's pretty amazing to think about what it must've been like to see the world change so much from your childhood to your teen years, to your twenties. Yeah. We can't think- really imagine it. Moving on to the uh, discussion in chapter 10 of the Tai Chi spinal stretch. Um, this is the final movement of the, Opening the energy gates form where you've done the standing, the cloud hands, the three swings, and now you end with the spine stretch, which is a really relaxing and a nice, you know, forward bending stretch. Um, so, our, you know, to do it, to learn it, uh, take some time and effort and some training, hopefully with the teacher to help you kind of get the nuts and bolts of it. Because um, you, you don't want to overstress your spine when you're doing this, obviously, I'm sure, you know, we've been emphasizing that all along. Um, he mentions here, the spine stretch has as its goal the gaining of complete control over the movement of the spinal vertebrae. The, doing this will result in the ability to move each and every vertebrae of the spine independently without re- relying on any external movement. This level of control is far beyond normal. Most people can barely feel their backs except when it aches. Um, and I think, you know, whew, that's there's some truth to that. I feel like a lot of us don't really do much with our back until something hurts and he's talking about an incredibly high level of sensitivity and control and ability to access your spine.
0: The way I see it is this is the first stage of a three-part really probably more than three parts but big chunk three parts of how the different sets do spinal work, right? So this one is essentially taking a fixed point, the bottom stretching from that fixed point to the top, and then coming back up from the bottom in the front and going up again. So you're always sort of working from the bottom to the top Mm. and you have the bottom as a fixed point. And so that's where the, the name, I think the Tai Chi spine stretches, right? It implies that it's, it's Yang first, then Yin, right? Uh, so you're stretching both ways. It's not just a, a stretch going forward. Um, and again, if you want to see what it is, you just look at the book. There's a description of it. But uh, the the bigger thing about it is this is the first place in the system where you separate one, one vertebrae from the next.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you do it in a fairly passive way. You're not pumping it, as it were. You're just letting... Gravity kind of hang and pull it open, um, and then using your legs to lift you back up.
1: That, you're not forcing or pushing or even doing anything. You're just simply hanging there and letting gravity do the work for you, and that's kind of how you want to approach the spine stretch. I think
0: stretch is almost not the right word because it's mm-hmm. really a spine release. Mm-hmm. Because the way it works is without going into too much of the specifics, is first you feel the vertebrae open vertically. Then as it bends forward, you open the back of it and you dissolve everything from that point down to your feet. And then when you come back up after you've done all the rest, you, again, you're going to dissolve down from that point to your feet. But this time you're going to be opening the front as you do it, right? So it's a... um, it's a release, not a stretch when you're coming up. Well, it's a, it's a stretch on the way down, but on the way up, it, it's really more of a sense of releasing and letting go than it's, uh, more than, to me than, than a quote unquote stretch. And the biggest thing about it is that it's again, from the bottom up and you're not letting your head go first. Cause that's most people's initial instinct
1: begin by mentally releasing all of the tension between your sacrum and your fifth lumbar vertebrae. That's the, that should be the very bottom one. Um, interestingly, he says, it is actually possible to slightly separate the theoretically immovable bones of the sacrum, but this is a more advanced practice. So I think yeah. working with the sacrum is probably part of heaven and earth or that's actually part of that.
0: more part of Ben the bow, And yeah. even then that movement is infinitesimally small. So Mm -hmm. so here, the idea is that your sacrum and your tailbone essentially are the anchor, right? They they're the thing that anchor you to your legs. So that as you bend forward, you don't just fall on your face, right? You have to have something keeping your spine attached to the to the to the base. Otherwise, you just fall Mm -hmm. over.
1: So you're strongly rooted through your legs and your feet and then from from on top of that it's almost like there's a flower pot and the flower is doing the bending but that whole base is just solid as can be right there and and keeps you fully rooted the whole time
0: yeah and like i said i mean it's about it's a spine stretch but your legs are a huge part of it because they're creating they're generating the power to lift you up and they're uh providing the stability so that you don't fall forward when you're going down.
1: So one thing he says here is uh he he's trying to say he doesn't want you to physically stretch. He wants you to release the nerves so that you're stretch. Um, you may be so bound that it takes a few weeks before an actual physical separation of the vertebrae takes place. But you must continue to work on this area with your mind until some sort of release is felt in the nerves or the chi. Over time, this is what will cause the muscles to let go and allow the vertebrae to separate. Um, So he's he's doing that thing where you're starting from the position of using your mind to affect the area. Instead of sort of lunging forward, you're waiting until your mind can help soothe that area enough to let it let go of the tension. And that can be frustrating, you know.
0: Yeah, the the way he always put it was um, you release in order to stretch rather than stretching to try to get a release. So the first part of it is get it to let go. Once it let go, let's go. There's a bit of slack that you can then kind of use to to stretch out. So the mechanism for getting your mind in there and getting the thing to release is essentially the, the standing and dissolving, right? So this is on one level, it's a moving exercise, but as much as anything, your intent to dissolve and to release your spine is as big as anything with the physical part. So you can do a very small physical movement and if you can, you know, on a nerve level or a chi level, release your spine, that will do just as much as if you bent down and, you know, touch the top of your head to the floor.
1: I mean, and so when you you've done a lot of the training of spine qigong and, you know, this is that doorway that, that begins the process. Like what, do you have any tips off the top of your head besides don't, don't overdo it and screw up your back?
0: Uh, Yeah. I have lots of tips about doing that. <laughs> um, not going to give them here, but I got lots yeah. of tips. No, I'm kidding. Uh, one thing is to to really take the the sense of push out of it, because the movement. If you're doing a pumping movement, or even if you're doing something like the spine stretch, there's a tendency to want to feel something to get like feedback. So if you stretch a little bit physically, you'll start to get kind of this tug and that gives you this feedback, uh, much like dissolving the spine stuff is about awareness more than it's about anything else since, and. so getting your uh, that's what i mean What he's saying right you have to get your attention in there first and get something to let go it doesn't have to let go all the way but at least it has to you know make this link and and uh for me you know personally it took a lot of um a lot of standing lot of squats a lot of just basic stuff like bending forward without doing the the spine bend first to get where i could just do the mechanics of it and not feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but then the the thing that really clicked was somewhere around 10 years out about doing it for 10 years i got that I could let go of the thing first and then do the stretch. And it didn't matter if it was a spine stretch or Tai Chi or, you know, it was at that point it, it, it was anything really, but, but to get the sense of release first and then allow the thing to stretch out.
1: Good advice. I know you helped me when I first started in terms of like getting a really good squat, Qua squat is kind of what drives the the release of your quad squat limits your uh, your quad squat is what makes your spine stretch effective. You've got to have some squat with each release of each vertebrae um, in order to really link it through the legs and and make it a full stretch or release.
0: One other thing is to um, feel the front and the back of the spine because we tend to focus only on the back of the spine because it's the part we can kind of touch and but you also to just get your awareness to go to the front of the spine is a big, uh, helpful piece of it too.
1: So looking forward here to another, uh, direction, release and stretch each vertebrae one at a time. So here he's talking about how you start by using groups of vertebrae, but over time you go one at a time. And he says, it's very helpful to have a partner place their finger on the vertebrae you're trying to release. So your partner goes one vertebrae starting at the very bottom, You do your best to release that one, then the next one, then the next one, and and their finger on your back really helps you get the awareness there. Um, So, you know, going one by one. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what you do. I mean, there's not much more to say. It just, it takes time. It takes energy to, to get to identify them as individuals. And that's just a process that comes. The more you do the spine stretch bit by bit over the years, you start to, I can attest to that you start to feel them much more uh, individually over time, but only with practice yeah
0: well again it's like standing or any any other awareness practice it just takes time to get your mind in there and let it sink into it and just take it slow and uh if you're injured it's going to take longer uh so you're going to have to like go even slower
1: yeah oh yeah that's a real good note if you've got a spine problem you want to be as gentle as you can be in this process so the final instruction here is to release the skull plates. The human skull is not one bone, but rather a number of plates joined together by sutures. These plates are capable of being released through voluntary action.
0: You don't want to push this. So if it happens naturally, cool, but don't try to force it because trying to force those open can actually
1: damage things. And I wanted to note one last thing here. And when you, As you're bent forward, you'll want to release energetically from bottom to top again. This ultimately culminates in waves of chi going up your spine to the top of your head and through your arms to your fingertips. So you continue your dissolving practice as you're doing the actual bending of the spine.
0: Yes. each Ideally, at each vertebrae, you dissolve all the way down to your feet. Um, but at least when, when you get to the end, you do sort of one big one.
1: All right. Okay, that well, is that's it for now.
0: That's it for now. Cool. T- nice talking to you.
1: Talk to you later. All right.
0: Hey, folks, uh, one more thing. We have a Instagram now, uh, the Huang podcast, and we're going to be putting up pictures related to the episodes, uh, articles, things like that, so just sources from the, the episodes so you can get some visuals to go along with some of this stuff, so check that out. Uh, all right. Uh, take care, and uh, thanks for listening.